Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Number one, every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people I've mentioned, verses from the Quran, Hadith, etc. They're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Now, most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But once we get into the longer form episodes, which I plan on uploading soon, these notes are going to be a very uh, useful resource and an aid. So be sure to check that out. Number two, I would really, really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday, I send out a short email that shares what I'm working on or reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to coexistresearch.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. One of the great events that we celebrate every year, uh, traditionally on the 27th of Rajab, is the Isra and the Ma'raj, which is one of the great events in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the Isra and the Ma'raj, traditionally, it's a very elaborate story and it's collected from all different hadith sources and verses and tafsir because there's no one you know, text that says this is the A to Z of the Isra and the Ma'raj. And the ulama, bless them of the past, they took it upon themselves and they put all of this together in these little booklets of stories. And traditionally, when, when the eve of the Isra comes, we get together and we read the story and we remind ourselves. Like we get together and we read the story of the Mawlid, we get together and we read the story of Ashura or whatever the case may be. But the story is too big for, for this venue. So I wanted to share four takeaways I think that we can focus on this year of this event. I mean, because the event is just an enormous, an enormous event. So the first takeaway is, or the first lesson, is that the Isra and the Ma'raj, it happened at what was outwardly the lowest point in the Prophet's life, sallallahu alayhi wa What do I mean by that? It happened when the Muslims of Mecca were kicked out of Mecca, so they were sort of pushed outside from the city into the you know, outskirts of the town. Uh, the Quraysh imposed a, a trade embargo, they couldn't trade with them. So the Muslims didn't have access to food, the Muslims didn't have access to water, and many of the, uh, the weaker people in the community died because of this you know, mal- malnourishment. And the Prophet specifically, he lost two people as a result of this event. So he loses his wife, Sayyidah Khadija, alayhi salam. Uh, she was older age, but after they returned to Mecca, that that experience was, was too much. So she succumbed and, and she passed. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he also in the same you know, span of time, he loses his uncle, who was his really only protector on the other side. The only person that really stood between him and the, the small Muslim community and the Quraysh. And this was such a tough time that when we study the seerah, we refer to this as the year of sadness. I'm al-huzn, the, the year of sorrow. Sorrow, why? Because the Prophet ﷺ, he loses his wife, who, when you, when you think about who Sayyidah Khadija is to the Prophet ﷺ, she is the mother of his children. So the Prophet ﷺ did not have any children except from Khadija salam, except for Ibrahim, but Ibrahim dies in his infancy. Right? So all of the Prophet's children, 
you know, all of the ones that we talk about, they're from Sayyidah Khadija. So this is the family of the Prophet ﷺ. Even though he marries later, but this was his first marriage and she's the first to believe, the first person ever to believe in, in the message. She spent from her wealth on him and on this mission, on this prophetic mission. So everything we read about in the early years, that the Prophet ﷺ did this, the Prophet ﷺ did that, he went to Ta'if, he went here. Who, who funded all of that? It was Sayyidah Khadija. So his, his and, and Sayyidah Khadija has a very high rank in the hierarchy of, of sainthood. In, in Islam, she's a very high rank. So not only is she a saintly person, and not only is she the mother and the protector, but you know, the closest person to the Prophet ﷺ, so she dies. And then his, outwardly, his outward protector, Abu Talib, he dies. And it was at this time that the Isra and the Ma'raj happens. Why is this important? We're always going to go through bad times. We're always going to go through anxiety, sorrow, loss, test, tribulation, all the time. And the key for us is that we can't control those events. You can't control the outside events. You can't control loss. You can't control... Uh, a calamity You can't control a test It's something that comes from outside That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala imposes on you And it's sort of a test How are you going to function Are you going to give up Or are you going to double down Are you going to give in and succumb Or are you going to get stronger Because with resistance Is how you grow stronger That's what, what lifting and, and, and strength training is about Without resistance your muscles grow Even though at the time it hurts And at the time there's pressure And at the time there's pain but that pain leads to growth. Likewise, in our life, when we go through these trying times, it puts a stress on our emotions. It puts a stress on our psychology. It puts a stress on our spiritual heart. But that stress leads to growth, if we understand. And this was, I mean, this could have been the annihilation of the Muslim community. This could have been the end of the Prophet's life, sallallahu And even though the prayer, the salah existed in Islam from the very beginning, the prayer as instituted during the Isra and Ma'raj did not exist before this event. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honors the Prophet ﷺ with this, you know, the best word is like the cinematic, you know, epic event of the Isra and then the Ma'raj. You know, going to Jerusalem, the Isra, and then ascending the seven heavens, the Ma'raj, and honors the Prophet ﷺ. It's not just the prayer, but all of the things that he sees, and all of the things that he witnesses, and all of the things that he learns. And he arrives at a place that no created being, no prophet before him, no angel, nobody, no entity has been there except him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So at the lowest point on the outward, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a sense gave him the greatest gift, the greatest opening, the greatest relief. And usually when we look at our own lives and we look at times of tension and times of sorrow and times of loss, also look for the relief that will slowly follow. To this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, The interesting thing about these two verses is when the Mufassirun, they look at it, they notice that the difficulty, indeed with, with difficulty is ease. Indeed with difficulty is ease. And then the verse after it, Indeed with difficulty is ease. But when they looked at the grammatical structure of these two verses, they said that the difficulty with the definite article, al, al-usr, it's the same difficulty in both verses. 
But the yusr, the ease, is open. It doesn't have a definite article. Meaning that Allah is telling you with each difficulty, I will give you two ways out. With each one token that's difficult, I'll give you two that will relieve you. And Allah Ta'ala multiplies because He's generous many times over. So Allah is telling you every time things get tough, I'm going to make it even better for you. But <clears throat> I'm going to make it better for you in a way that you might not calculate. So the Prophet ﷺ did not you know, come back to Mecca and like, you know, find a treasure of gold or, or like, you know, a, a sickness befell all of the Quraysh and they vanished. No, Allah Ta'ala compensated him infinitely more but in another direction. And that's the magic of this verse. Or maybe I shouldn't use that word because people will say this is bid'ah. Maybe that's the secret of this verse, of these verses about ease and hardship, ease following hardship, is that you have to look to where that ease is going to come. Because of these tests on the outside, if they don't affect your character, if they don't affect your psychology, if they don't affect your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if they don't affect your state, your hal, then it's, it's, it's almost it's meaningless. Because you can't control that. What you can control is what's on the inside, how you react to that, how you deal with this, how you deal with that, how you respond. Do you double down and you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or do you give up? Many times we've spoken about, like in Surah Al-Hajj, when Allah says, don't be like the people that worship on the edge. If something good happens to them, they're happy. If something bad happens, they give up. So which one are we? Do we give up or do we double down? That's the real test. <clears throat> so the axis, it's not just an XY axis, there's also the, the spiritual axis. And it's on that spiritual axis that the Prophet ﷺ is hardship, immense outward hardship. I mean, no one's kicked us out of our homes, alhamdulillah, and we've lost everyone around us, and everyone's out to get us, and everyone's kicked us out of town. We haven't had that type of situation. But that's what he was like. For example, we have this place. Many communities don't have a place. The, the, the neighborhoods will get under the zoning. Zoning is where religious establishments go to die. You know, they get on the zoning committees and they just block this and they block that. And many people don't even have a place. Not just Muslim, any religious group. And alhamdulillah, we have a place. But imagine that outward difficulty that he had, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And look what Allah compensated him with. This miraculous event. So this is a, like a yearly commemoration of that. That whenever you have difficulty, look to where the ease is. And this, is a matter of fact, is one of the principles of the sharia. Al-mashaqqatu tajlubu taysir. The fuqaha, they looked at Islamic law and they said, anytime there's difficulty, we have to look how to make it easy. Because the sharia is meant to make our life easy, not difficult. So if something has become cumbersome, if something has become difficult, then we got to re-examine. We got to find the easy way out. When the hours of fasting are too long, doesn't apply to us by the way, but when the hours of fasting are too long, we have to, we'll look to the fatwa of how to make the day shorter. When we don't find places to pray, we can combine our prayers. You know, things like that. So the, the Sharia is always looking to how make things easy. Because Allah has given us this as a blessing to make life easy. We have not revealed this Qur'an for you to be miserable. So even the system of law that, we, that governs our religious life has this as a core principle. When things get difficult, we have to look right away how to make it easy. So when you have difficulty in your life, Remember this event and how there might be another access that you're not tabulating 
to see where the multiple E's will come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second takeaway or the second lesson or, or point to reflect on is the entire event of the Isra and the Ma'raj. Gabriel has come to the Prophet in Mecca and is guiding him. Ride this, tie the buraq here, pray here, uh, go here, do this, do that. And the Prophet is following all the way until it culminates in the climax in which the Prophet discourses directly with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and receives the prayer. This reminds us that if you want to arrive at your goal, and in this context, our goal being Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the sense we want to be closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have to have somebody to take you on that journey. Now what's interesting about this lesson is that in this transaction, there's no doubt, no one would doubt that the Prophet ﷺ is infinitely better than Gabriel. You know, he is, he is the best of the created beings. There's nothing in the created universe better than Sayyidina Muhammad ﷺ. That's why we're obsessed with praising him and we're obsessed with loving him and throughout our history. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't know this way. He didn't have the route for that specific journey. But for him to arrive, he followed Gabriel. And this is the sunnah of Islam. The sunnah of Islam is that we are taken by the hand, generation after generation, down this path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it doesn't mean that the one taking you by the hand is necessarily better than you. I mean, usually in our case they are. But it is not always the case. And that's why we don't have this we're not supposed to have this like cult worship phenomenon. It doesn't really, it's not really an Islamic problem. We have other problems. That's not one of our problems. We have respect for our teachers and we love our teachers. But we also know that nothing is stopping us from maybe exceeding what they exceeded. Most likely, again, it will not happen. I mean, I, I doubt that I will ever be smarter or better than the people that taught me. That's my, my belief. But there are people that in, in the history of Islam, that they, they surpassed their teachers. Like Imam al-Ghazali, he surpassed his teachers. And his teacher was happy, you know, that this, that this happened. Because it's not an ego thing. And this is why we have this verse, وَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people that know, if you don't know. You can't take Islam on your own. You can worship on your own. You can practice on your own. But you can't take the knowledge, the science, the intellectual paradigm of Islam on your own. If you do, you're going to make a mess of things. And that's why we have teachers, and that's why we have people in the community that have dedicated themselves to study this, to study that. And they are the people that you go to when you need help. And when you go to them for advice, for questions, you tend to listen to them and follow their advice. Just like when you need tax advice, you go to your tax lawyer and accountant. If you need medical advice, you go to a physician or you talk to somebody after prayer who's in the medical profession, and you ask them, if you want to get into profession A, you ask somebody who practices in profession A, how did you do this, what did you do, what's your path, and you follow them. It's just common sense. But for some reason, when it comes to Islam, we, we tend to, to get weirded out by this idea. We don't want to follow people. We kind of want to go on it alone. And that's our generation's problem. Now, this is our problem, is that we think we can go on it alone. And in this is a little bit of a hubris that assumes that we know more than anyone knows that people's problems before were not like our problems today. You know, but that's not, the tr that's not the truth. Because if you look at our history as a community, as a religious community, 
what we are going through now is like air condition. The air condition is just not working so well. That's, that's the, the extent of our problems. We haven't lost uh, Baghdad. We didn't live at that time when the caliphate fell and Baghdad fell and the books were burning and the Khalifa was running for his life. We didn't live at the time when Sayyidina Hussein was killed by the son of Muawiyah. You know, a Sahaba fighting Sahaba. We didn't live during these tribulations. So our problems, our religious problems, are minuscule compared to that. So if we assume that the people before us didn't understand Islam or how to survive, we are grossly mistaken. And we have underestimated the intellectual richness and power that is in our past. And this story again is a yearly reminder that this is a religion of initiation. That somebody takes you by the hand and teaches you and shows you until you can walk on your own two feet. You have, someone has to teach you how to swim before you can get into the deep end. You start in the shallow end and then you go into the deep end. Those type of analogies will help you understand the significance that throughout the entire story of the Isra and the Ma'raj, Gabriel was guiding the Prophet And in that transaction, the Prophet never asks Gabriel why, how, you know, I object. It, it, this doesn't make sense. He just, he did it. Because he put his trust in that transaction that Gabriel is going to guide him to wherever Allah decides and wills at that moment that he will be guided. But the Prophet ﷺ was also prepared. Because one of the events of the Isra and the Ma'raj is the cutting open of the Prophet's chest as happened when he was a child. As happened the, during the initial revelation. So this happens several times in the Prophet's life. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this is like a, it was like a physical preparation to be able to go at those speeds and that altitude and the pressure and the air and all of that stuff, to be able to, his body to withstand that, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was physically prepared. So before you seek out help, sometimes you need to have that level of preparation. And that level of preparation, sometimes it's just on the inside, it's just a turning of the heart, making sure your intention is clear and things like that. The third lesson or takeaway or something for us to think about is of course the importance of the prayer itself. Because all of our religious acts are acts of devotion and worship in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah. You know they're in the Qur'an and they're in the Sunnah. But the prayer, the Salah, comes to us in this event. Very elaborate, over-the-top event. Underscoring the importance of the prayer. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, that which is between us and disbelief is the prayer. Not dua, but the prayer, like the namaz, the fajr, the dhuhr, the as, the maghrib, and the isha. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, لا خير في دين لا صلاة في There's no good in a religious system if it doesn't have prayer. So this prayer is the basis of a religious and spiritual relationship between the creation and the created. And there are only five. And we can do it. So if we haven't been praying, this is a reminder to pray. If we've prayed but we've been Swiss cheese about our prayer, let's make it a full slice of cheese of prayer. If we're full slice, then maybe we can do some extra prayers. But let this be a reminder, a yearly reminder of this important connection. Now the prayer, it's not supposed to be this um, cinematic moment of your day. A lot of times people, they complain, well, I pray, but I don't get anything out of it. So I say, which is not very um, diplomatic, well, who said you're supposed to get something out of it? You're just something that we're supposed to do. 
when you feel emotional and you turn to Allah and you make dua, that's like a moment of, of clarity, a moment of emotion. But because you pray five times a day, every day, not every one of those times is going to be like this picture-perfect moment that you're going to you know, Snapchat about it and it's going to be on your feed. It's not, it doesn't have to be like that. But you got to stand and you pray. That's the important part. But if you do this long enough, eventually you will get something out of the prayer. But you have to give it time. Because the prayer has its own rhythm, has its own energy. And you come to the prayer with your own baggage, each one of us. And eventually, if we pray long enough, the impact of the energy, and I know this sounds a little woo-woo, but just stay with me. If the impact of the energy of the prayer will sync with your energy, and then you will have exponential experiences with the prayer. And this is why Allah says, Prayer is difficult for the people that don't have khushua, that don't have humility when they pray. So just give it time. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not give us the prayer in this very epic cinematic episode of the Prophet's life, وسلم, except to underscore how hugely important it is in our religious life. So do the prayers. The last thing, my favorite part of this story, is after, you know, the Prophet, وسلم, he sees all these things with Gabriel. Here, he sees there, he sees the reward of these people, the punishment of those people. And when we narrate the entire story of the Isra and the Maraj, that's usually one of the main takeaways. Until the Prophet ascends and ascends and ascends the seven levels of heaven in the Maraj. And then he goes and he sees the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now he's at a point that you know, nobody has gone. And then he hears the inscription of the pen on the, the tablet, you know, Allah al-Mahfud. He's in that, you know place and then he's still with Gabriel and then he sees the figure of a person sort of drowning in the light that's coming from the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the Prophet sallallahu in, in, in a very you know uh, humble way he asks Gabriel he says is this an angel and Gabriel says no and then the Prophet sallallahu says is this uh, a prophet because you know we've seen all of these other prophets is this another prophet and Gabriel says no so the Prophet says, who is this? And Gabriel says, this is a man or woman. And he says, these are archetypes. This is a person whose tongue was always moist with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And their heart was attached to the mosque. Meaning that their heart was attached to prayer. They used to come to the mosque. They loved the mosque. They were part of the mosque. Uh, they were part of the community. All of those things. And it was a person that did not curse their parents. And those three things, if you think about it, if you can excel at those three things, that's your, that's, you've got all of your ukhrawi life covered. That your tongue is always moist with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you look at all of the things that the Prophet said throughout his day, all he did was remember Allah. He would remember Allah when things were good, he would remember Allah when things were bad. When it rained, when it was sunny. When it was a full moon, when the harvest came, uh, when the rain came and when the rain stopped. The beginning of the month, the end of the month, the middle of the month. The beginning of the day, the middle of the day. The, all the time the Prophet ﷺ was making some form of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because what you, what's in your heart is what comes out. When you love somebody, all you talk about is that person. All you see is that person. And the, the poem of Majnoon and Layla, 
Majnun, you know, he sees the tent, it reminds him of Layla. He sees the camel, it reminds him of Layla. He sees the sand, it reminds him of Layla. All he sees is Layla, Layla, Layla. Because he's in love with Layla. Now, if you're in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you're in love with his messenger, وسلم, that's all you're going to see, all you're going to talk about. So this, the tongue that is constantly remembering means that that which you're remembering is on the inside. And the dhikr, the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only thing that the Qur'an mentions to do as much as you can. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, uthkurullaha dhikran kathira. Wasabbihuhu bukratan wa asir. Oh, you who believe, remember Allah much, night and day. Alladheena yathkuruna Allah qiyaman wa qu'udan wa ala junubihim. The people that remember Allah standing, sitting and lying down. I mean, being in Jannah is one thing, but drowning in the light of the throne of God, that's a very, that uh, expression is very vivid when you read this story. And that the person's heart was with the mosque, meaning they would pray their prayers. When there was something, they would come. When there was an activity, they would come. Maybe they volunteered, maybe they donated. You know, they were part of the community. And respect for our parents. To obey our parents, to love our parents, to serve our parents. And look, Allah only reminds us in the difficult transaction. Allah doesn't have to remind you to be selfless for your children. Because that comes naturally. So Allah reminds us saying like in quotes, I know it's difficult, I know sometimes it's hard. There are these generational gaps, cultural gaps. But nonetheless, we have an obligation to be good and respectful to our parents, whether they're living or whether they're not. And if they're not, then we make dua for them, that we pray for them, that we give charity in their name, that we remember them, and we pass on their legacy. And if they're alive, we serve them, and we love them, and we respect them, and we're with them, and do not be a cause that they become angry with us. These three things cause this person, in this, in this episode, to be at the highest point, the highest possible point, to be drowning in the light of the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are four quick lessons or, or takeaways for us to think about as we uh, commemorate, inshallah, this miraculous event of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Aqulu qawli hadha. Astaghfirullah wa lilakum fa astaghfiru illa wa huwa al-ghafoorul raheem.